Hola, Iglesia. Hello, church, and welcome to First Christian Church. My name is Ethan Magnus. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so glad to be with you today. Uh, this week, I'm especially glad for modern technology uh, because I had two things that I wanted to do this weekend. Uh, number one, I wanted to be with my family on our family vacation during Science Hill's spring break. And number two, I really wanted to bring the last message of our Torn series. We've got some other great teachers in the church who could have done it, uh, but this message is really important to me personally, and so I wanted to do it, and I'm grateful for our video team uh, for making that possible. Uh, we're in the middle of this series, Torn Together, and, and the premise of this series is just so simple, but it's one so many of us need to learn. The premise is this, everybody is torn. All of us have struggles, and when we struggle, uh, for many of us, our first instinct is to go into hiding, to be driven apart by shame. But what we've learned in this series is that when we are torn apart, we will be torn apart. But instead, what God wants us to do is to be torn together. Uh, God wants every one of us to, to let ourselves bring our burdens into the community of Christ. Uh, bring our burdens to the church where we can together be healed. Our theme verse for the series has been Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love God and to love one another. And Paul says if you want to fulfill that law, you must carry one another's burdens. Which means today and every day, whatever burden you brought with you today, you are not meant to carry it alone. I know some of you brought a struggle with you today. I talked to some people this week who have lost loved ones and they brought grief today. Or whose marriages are in trouble or they've just gone through a divorce and they brought some chaos today. Whatever burden you brought today, you aren't meant to bear it alone. Your burden is meant to be shared. We are meant to be torn together. And today I want to talk about a particular burden that I think lots of people suffer with. And they suffer alone, but they don't need to. I want to talk about mental illness. I want to talk about depression, anxiety. Doing some research in preparation for this sermon just to remind me, uh, and I was really struck by just how common uh, mental illness is. One in five adults will experience a mental health illness or a disorder or some sort of moment every year. One in five adults. Uh, we're talking about things like depression or schizophrenia. We're talking about bipolar illness, OCD, PTSD, and so many more. Mental illness affects young people and old people. It affects people who are otherwise physically healthy and otherwise physically sick. It affects people of both genders, of all ages, all socioeconomic classes. Everybody suffers from mental illness. Untreated, and many illness, mental illnesses go untreated, untreated mental illness has disastrous consequences for so many people. But the good news is that for many people, there is help and hope. Uh, there, there are treatments from the medical field, but there also is good news from God's word and God's people. 
I was thinking about this. I think one of the difficulties with mental illness is a lot of us still kind of act like mental illness is some sort of strange, odd thing. Uh, but that's not at all the case. It's very, very common. It's us. We are the people who struggle with mental illness. It's people in this room. It's people that are part of our church, a part of your family. 2005, latest year I could get the data for, 10% of Americans were prescribed an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication. 10%. That's a lot of us. Uh, one in 20 lives are seriously affected by a chronic, an ongoing mental illness. Uh, so many people who suffer in other ways, like the homeless population, 25% have a diagnosed mental illness. The prison population, 25% have a diagnosed mental illness. Maybe the most acute symptom of our mental health crisis in our country is our suicide rate. One suicide every 15 minutes. It's heartbreaking. And, and, and mental illness, of course, isn't just a collection of statistics. Uh, for many of us, it, it's personal. Uh, maybe you're struggling with mental illness today. Maybe you've been afraid to talk about it. You've been bearing this burden alone. You've been torn apart, and you're just wondering if you truly could be torn together and share this burden. If you're not struggling personally, then I know you know somebody who is. All of us know somebody who's struggling with mental illness. Mental illness is part of my story. I've talked about this before, but uh, I've had kind of a, a handful of major depressive episodes over the last kind of 30 years of my life. It's not with me all the time. I can't always predict when it's going to come, but sure enough, there it is. It shows up. It took me a long time to figure out how to explain my mental illness. I've got this one story, though, that helps me explain what my depression feels like. This is a few years back. Uh, I was going kayaking with my boys. And uh, I'm not a sunglasses wearer. I'm always wearing my regular glasses, so never have time for sunglasses. But as a treat, I had bought some of those glasses where the lenses change colors in the sun. And so we were going kayaking, and we drive one car to the end place and drive one car to the top, and we get on the water, and we start paddling. And all of a sudden, I look up, and I see these gray clouds rolling in. And I look behind me, behind me, the whole sky is gray and the water's getting dark. And I say to the boys, boys, stop floating. It's time to paddle. They were frustrated by this. We'd planned a leisurely day on the water, but every time they got tired, I'd say, paddle faster, paddle faster. I was worried. I could see the storm clouds come. Finally, my oldest said to me, dad, why can't we just float? I said, can't you see? Can't you see that there is a storm about to hit us? We've got to get off this water and fast. They both looked at me funny. It's like, Dad, the sky is blue. The clouds are white. There is no storm coming. I kind of pulled down my brand new glasses a little bit, looked around. And sure enough, they were right. The sky was blue, the clouds were white, there was no storm coming. And that's the best description I've got of what my life is like when I'm depressed. It's the same life and the same sky and the same clouds and everybody around me can see that the sky is blue and the clouds are white and there's no storm coming and all I can see is a storm. And I get trapped and I get alone, I don't know how to talk about it. And that depression I'm in begins to drive me apart. I think a lot of people do this with their mental illness. Maybe you can't figure out how to talk about it. Or maybe you've tried to talk about it, but it got weird fast. 
And so first you're torn, and then you're torn apart. Or maybe you, you've got the idea that if you don't pretend to be happy all the time and pretend that somehow it, it compromises your witness for you to admit that you're depressed or admit that you're anxious. You've been taught, do not worry, and you think your anxiety condition is somehow a testimony to your weak faith. If that's you, I just want to say a couple things. First of all, you are not alone. Your mental illness is not a symptom of a weak faith or a symptom of a weak God. It's a symptom of an illness. It's, it's an illness. You know, nobody, nobody would break an arm and we'd look at him and like, oh, if only you trusted God more, you wouldn't have broken your arm when you fell out of the tree. And mental illnesses, while they're not exactly the same as a broken arm, they are real illnesses. And you don't need to feel judged by or guilty for having this illness any more than you would any other. The other thing you've got to know is you, when I say you're not alone, I don't, don't just mean that I understand that this is part of my story. The Bible is full of people who have this as part of their story. The Bible is full of depressed people and sick people and scared people and anxious people. And any time we want to give an easy answer and just claim that if we had more faith, our mental illness would go away or our depression would go away or anxiety would go away, we're actually being unfaithful to the example of Scripture. Uh, Listen to this. This is Psalm 42. Uh, David wrote these words. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while everybody says to me, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise and the festive throng. I think a lot of people struggling with a mental illness understand that paragraph. Waiting on God, wondering how long it will take for God to provide comfort. Or maybe you understand the part about how you're doing the same things you used to be. I used to go to church and I loved it. Or I used to go to an amusement park and I loved it. And now I do the same things. And there's, there's no joy. There's no connection. There's no peace. And maybe you know that feeling. The psalmist goes on, he asks this question, maybe you've asked this question. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Just put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. I know when I'm depressed, I ask this question. What is wrong with me? Why am I so sad? Why can't I just snap out of it? Maybe you've asked a question like that when you're struggling with a mental illness or when someone you love is struggling. Here it is, right here in Scripture. David, the man after God's own heart, the victorious general, the heroic king, the one picked by God and anointed by the prophet, is bummed out and feels stuck. Psalm 6, he writes, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint My bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of my foes. 
Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look at me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Now don't get me wrong, David could write songs about the good times too. David could write a psalm of victory. David could write a psalm of praise. David could write a psalm of joy. Clearly David had some days that were the best days. But he had some days. He had some days that were hard days. And if you or somebody you love is struggling with a mental illness, my guess is you know that too. You have some days that are the best days. But you have some days that are hard days. You know, I'm no doctor. I'm not trying to, you know, diagnose David with some technical disease. I'm just saying here's a guy who knew what it was like to struggle with his emotional world. Here's a guy who knew what it was like when his thought life did not serve as a blessing to his life life. And some of you know that story. And it isn't just David. There are lots of characters in the Bible who struggled with this. Maybe the hardest case is the guy named Jeremiah. There's a book written about him. It's called Jeremiah. He was a prophet. He was just this fantastic, brilliant servant of God. He had an important job. He had a great job, and he was good at it. One of the best prophets. And Jeremiah was sad all the time. The book about him is called Jeremiah. But the book that we think he wrote, it's called Lamentations. Sad song. That's the name of the book he wrote, Sad Songs. And Jeremiah was a sad guy. Jeremiah 15, I never joined people in their merry feasts. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. So why does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. He says, I never have any fun. I'm always alone. And even God feels like sometimes God's with me and sometimes God isn't. Jeremiah 20. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me never be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him so glad, saying, a child has been born to you, a son. For he did not kill me in the womb. With my mother as my grave, her womb forever enlarged. Why did I ever come out of the womb? To see trouble and sorrow and an end to my days. Was Jeremiah suicidal? It sounds a little bit like that, doesn't it? And maybe today you just need to know that if you're depressed or anxious or struggling with a mental illness, or stuck in a cycle of PTSD, and you feel like somehow you must be a bad person because your thought life isn't what you wish it was, you need to know Jeremiah's thought life wasn't what he wished it was either. And David's thought life wasn't what he wished it was either. And your mental illness does not mean you're cursed by God, and it does not mean there's no hope for you either. 
And if we kept reading in the Bible, there are many more we could meet. Faithful followers chosen by God, and yet they struggled. So when you're torn, torn by grief, torn by depression, torn by anxiety, torn by schizophrenia or bipolar illness or PTSD or OCD or any of a thousand other things that I probably haven't heard of or don't understand yet. When you're torn, you are in good company. You're in the company of kings and prophets. You're in the company of wise men beloved by God. You're in the company of saints and heroes of the faith. And you're in the company with hundreds of others in this church who are also struggling. You're in company with me. I'm with you there in the struggle. And you're in the company of God. And what this means for us as a church is that we need to make sure that we don't let those who are torn by mental illness be torn apart. We as a church need to determine that we are going to be a place of acceptance and welcome for those who are struggling with mental illness. Because if we're not, they will be torn apart. And if they're torn apart, they will be torn apart. But if we let them know that this is a place where they will be welcomed and understood and listened to, if we obey God's command to bear one another's burdens, well, this could be a place where we are instead torn together. And if we are torn together as God commands us, then there is hope. Hope for me, hope for you, and hope for the people you love. I know that can be hard to believe. It can be so hard to believe that there is hope when you are struggling with a mental illness, but God's word promises it. Psalm 13, one of the same psalms where we hear about the depression of David, it says this, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. That word salvation, that's more than just spiritual. It's the old-fashioned word for healing, for wholeness. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. That is a rejoicing in the promise that God is going to make me whole one day. And God's going to make you whole one day. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Even Jeremiah, faithful, hardworking, weeping, possibly suicidal, Jeremiah. Even Jeremiah knows there is hope. Just after he curses his own life, he hears a word from the Lord. Jeremiah 15, 20. I am with you to rescue you and save you, declares the Lord. If you're here today and maybe this sermon's even hard to listen to because this is your struggle and you feel like you've been waiting so long, I just want you to know that is God's word for you. I am with you to rescue and save you. Jeremiah 15, 20, maybe you just need to take that with you today. The word of the Lord to you, I am with you to rescue you and save you. Part of the reason I know there is hope for those of us who struggle with mental illness is that God's word promises hope. 
But beyond that, I've actually got more evidence than that. Part of the reason I know there is hope is not just that God's word promises hope, though that would be enough, but also because God's people are experiencing hope. I want want you to hear a story of that. A story of a friend of mine who maybe thought there was no hope who didn't know she could experience hope, but now she, daughter of God, is experiencing the hope of God's promises. Listen to my friend's story. I walked into the room for the first time not knowing what to expect. I'm shy by nature, and so any time there's a room full of strangers, it's just not my forte. My mind scrambled and went blank on appropriate small talk topics to cover and I could feel the heat rising to my face as my palms began to sweat and I just knew this was not going to go well. It really boiled down for me to a lack of hope. Where was hope in the midst of all of this? And where was God when it all came crashing down? So walking into my first recovery class felt much the same way. Why should I hope? Why hope that these women would accept me? Why hope that I would find a friend within these walls? Why hope that I would make any progress? Why hope that God would speak or move or even show up when God's presence had been so lacking? Why hope? But for some unknown reason, I stayed. Maybe it was the fact that I was too paralyzed with anxiety anyway to move out of the room. But maybe I had more hope than I thought. Hope that, if nothing else, there would be a connection with another human being. And I so ached for connection. I've been going to the women's recovery class for about 10 months now, and I've met two of my best friends there, and two women who are acting as mentors for me as well. And I've regained some sense that God is in this world and moving, because I know that God is at least in that room and moving. It's the first place in the church that I've seen people come together and admit that they struggle in the silence, admit that they're torn. And yet it's also a place where I hear of hope. Hope to me is a woman who says, you know, I used to struggle so much more with this, but by God's grace, I'm becoming better. That's the kind of hope that I can cling to. The hope that says that we all struggle in the silence, but understands that we serve a God that speaks a language of hope in the midst of silence. It's a kind of hope that keeps moving forward. I keep moving forward. We as a community keep moving forward to lean into the promises of God. I love that story. I'm so grateful to Caitlin for telling her story. I love it really mostly because it's a story from the middle. You know, Caitlin is on a journey now, but she's got so much more journey to take, you know. 
And isn't that the way we live our lives? You know, we live our lives in the middle. And maybe where you are in your journey, you need to take the step Caitlin took. A step toward hope. And maybe, maybe you don't believe there's hope, but I just want to tell you a few clear things that I know about hope. I know this from my own story, and I know it from Caitlin's story and thousands of stories like it. I know this. There is no hope in hiding. If you're struggling today with depression or anxiety with PTSD from some past drama or some other mental illness, I just want you to know this. There is no hope in hiding. If you're trying to cover this up and keep this a secret, it will eventually get you. I also want you to know there is no hope in shame. If you're believing that somehow your mental illness makes you less loved by God or makes you kind of less anything, That's a lie. It's a lie from your accuser, Satan. And there is no hope in that shame, for that shame will just drive you away from the peace and reconciliation God wants to give you. But there is hope, just as Caitlin experienced. There's hope in the people of God. The biggest breakthrough for me in figuring out how to manage my depression was when I started telling people, it was a medical doctor first. I mean, little did I know, 20-some-odd years later, I'd go to church with him. At the time, I went to the doctor I knew the least so I could tell the truth to a stranger. But I couldn't stop being sad. That's who I told first, and then I told my wife, and then another, and then another, and then another. And every time I told somebody, I was less ashamed and less isolated, and I had more hope. I was less controlled and more free. And you just heard Caitlin's story, the same thing. She walked into a room, not even sure why she was there, not even sure if there was any hope to be found. But as she began to share her story, she found that there was hope in being torn together. And I want you to know that. That's true. God's word promises that. God's word says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we can't do that unless we are sharing our burdens. Here at FCC... Ladies, you could join the very group Caitlin's talking about. Wednesday nights, you show up, you tell them your story, and they're going to get you, they're going to understand you, they're going to listen to you, and you can begin to journey toward hope. Man, we got a group for you too. Wednesday nights, you be there, you show up, start your journey toward hope. Maybe you want to get connected with our grief share ministry. We have just dozens and dozens of people every year who are finding hope People who had been stuck in their grief for months or sometimes even years who bring that burden to this ministry and all of a sudden they find hope. Call our church, set up a counseling appointment. There is hope to be found when you share your burden with the people of God. God built us that way. The second thing, I just want to, Caitlin said it already, but I just, she's just so right. There is also hope in the promises of God. Our God has made promises, and our God keeps God's promises. Most especially, God has made the promise of salvation. Salvation is not just a spiritual promise. It is a whole life promise. God's promise to you is that in Christ Jesus, you can be rescued and saved, made whole again, set free from whatever mental illness holds you back. 
One of the best things I learned to do when I'm depressed is to proclaim the victory of God. To claim the future victory of God on my behalf that will result in a day when I'm never depressed ever again. Jesus promises, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And I just want you to know, if you're mourning today because you feel trapped by some mental illness that's hard to explain, there's hope for you. Because the promises of God are good for you. The promise of God for you is salvation. And our God is faithful to keep God's promises. You know, it's interesting to me. As a church, we're better at this when it's a broken arm. Or when it's cancer. Or when it's you know some disease that has some physical manifestation. We're better at that, aren't we? We're better at talking about it. We're better at helping. We're better at sitting at the hospital. I'm not saying we're perfect at that. I know some people struggle alone with that. I'm not saying we're perfect at it, but we're better at it. We probably need to get better at this, don't we? At being torn together with those who are struggling in mental illness. And the reason we need to get better, well, it's not just because we love them, although we do. Not just because God loves them, although God does. One of the reasons we need to get better is because it's when we are torn together, that's when there is hope. I'm going to close our time here with a word of prayer, and then we're going to transition back into worship. I just, I love this church so much. I especially just want to tell you, let you know, if you're struggling with this today, I want you to know how much I love you and I understand your struggle. And I'm just praying for you today that maybe you'll take the step to step out of your hiding and step out of your shame and tell somebody your struggle. For that's where you'll find hope. Hope in the people of God. Hope in the promises of God. And if you know somebody who's struggling with this, don't abandon them. Take them out to coffee. Go visit them just like you would if they broke their leg. Because they need you. They need to be torn together. For it is when we are torn together that the hope of God is real. And we are healed. Let's pray. Gracious God, I love you so much. And right now, I'm especially grateful for how confident I can be in your love for me and your love for all of us. Your love especially for those many of us who are struggling with some form of mental illness. Maybe it's periodic or maybe it's always with us and maybe we understand it or maybe we don't, but your love for us remains the same. I pray right now for some people who who really understand that first part of Caitlin's story where she just felt like there was no hope. And maybe they've gone into hiding and they've gone into shame, pretending like they're fine, but it's just getting worse. God, I just would really ask that you would do a miracle in their spirit. Just do a, do a miracle in their heart, God, that they would take the risk of opening up and telling someone about their struggle. 
And that we as a church would, would meet those who struggle with the love of our Savior. The one who wants to save us, not just spiritually, but, but wholly, completely, mind, body, and soul for all eternity. Set us right with you, God. That is the Savior we depend on. God, I pray especially for the person maybe online, maybe in one of our services who's listening to this message and recognizes that they need to take a step, a step out of the darkness, a step out of the hiding, to share their burden with someone else so that they can know the hope, the hope that you give us through the people 